which was so ably read by one of our deacons who was recruited. And thank you, uh, Deacon Miller. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, we might have some more assignments for you, brother. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And uh, I want to uh, remind you that we're continuing a series that was briefly kind of interrupted with a couple Sundays. We're returning to leveling up in our marriages, leveling up in our marriages. And what I'm going to say about marriage today, really, the biggest problem for marriage is singles. And the reason that's true, all right, I got that, okay, sis, is that we often go into marriage unprepared. And I believe that when you believe that God is calling you to be married, you should act like it even before you get married. You should be thinking about the kind of husband and wife you should be. It doesn't just uh, be, come to us through osmosis. And the practices that you're currently engaged in right now is either preparing you for a good marriage or a nightmare. Amen. Amen. And so we don't want that to be your experience. So I invite you to join me as we turn our attention to James chapter 3, the Word of God. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? And oh, how sweet it is to see people standing on their feet and joining as we look at the Word of God. And I'm not going to read all 12 verses, but I'm going to read uh, the first section of this scripture. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For all we stumble in many, for we all stumble in many things. If any man does not stumble in his words, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put a small bit in a horse's mouth and, and that, they, that they may obey us, and we turn the, their whole body. Look also at the ship, although they are so large and are driven by a fierce wind, they are turned by a very small rudder, whether, wherever the pilot desires. In verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Amen. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come before you. We ask that you would minister to us in this hour. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Would you invite someone to participate, uh, start a watch party, uh, share with someone. This is going to be a powerful time in the Word of God. Uh, after... Uh, Counting down in preparation for another lesson uh, during our Biblical Academy on Wednesday night. Everything seemed to be fine. I got the thumbs up from the technician, Brother Brandon, uh, to start the class. When all of a sudden he informed me that we had a technical problem. And the issue had to deal, do with the fact that while I could be heard at the church, for some reason, those who were joining us in the teaching on live stream could not hear what I was saying. They could see my movements, they could see me turning pages, but they could not hear what was being taught. Try as uh, the technician may to single out what the trouble actually was. We were unsuccessful. And so we had to resort to a backup measure in order for the lesson to be taught and thank the Lord for the skill of the technician and uh, those who patiently waited. Uh, we were able to resume the lesson and many received the word of God and were blessed. What was discovered after the class was over was that the issue was so simple, it was too obvious to, to notice. 
The reason why people who were listening on live screen could, that could not hear me is because I had been muted on the soundboard. And all that needed to make that problem go away was to press a small button that would have unmuted me. Now, by him unmuting me going forward, understanding that I could be blocked out in terms of communication, communicating with the audience, made it possible, or makes it possible, for people to hear what I'm trying to communicate from the Word of God. Notice I said, unmuting me made it possible, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I successfully would be able to communicate. Communication is not automatic. Now, there are at least three types of communications that occurs between humans. There's verbal communication, what we say with our mouths when we talk. It's verbal communication. Then there's nonverbal communication, that is what we say with our body language. Uh, we can roll our eyes, or we can point a finger, or we can twist our lips. So my mother used to say, you better not be sticking your lips out. That meant something. That meant disrespect, and I hadn't said a word. Uh, Nonverbals uh, address the idea or the area of intonation of your voice, and women are especially attuned to how we say what we said. So the tone of voice, the intonation. Uh, another way that we nonverbally communicate is through our attitude, our attitude. Uh, people can catch your vibe. You don't have to say nothing. They just know that you just got a, 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 a smelly tube going on. And, and, and that can shut down communications immediately. Another form of communication with regard to nonverbal is written communication. And uh, 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 amazingly, uh, social media has become the primary way that many people communicate today. And it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it provides a platform for anybody that wants to be somebody to share what their thoughts are, be they true or untrue. But it also, the, the other side of uh, social media is that it has become probably the, the primary reason why, why communication skills have deteriorated to an all-time low. We are talking far less to each other face-to-face -face or via telephone than at any other time since, these, since social media has been a primary form of communications. And so, so there are two forms, nonverbal, verbal, and then there's a third form of communication. That is internal communication, internal communication what you actually hear, and how you interpret what you heard. So somebody can say something, and 10 people hear what they said. Nine people interpret it one way, and another, the one person hears it an entirely different way. So your internalization of what you've heard and how you understand it is another form in a key form of, uh, of communication, which we would say would be in the area of listening. Now, what's difficult about that type of communication or that particular form is that it, 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 it is influenced by your, the language you speak, your gender. Women and men hear things differently. Uh, men are from Mars and women are from Pluto, or whatever that book's title is. Uh, your life experiences and your personal concept of, of, of yourself influences how you hear things. And so, it, or, or how you interpret verb. If you look at someone make eye contact with somebody in the hood and you, you look at them too long, you're being disrespectful. You want them to prove to you that they're as much man or more man than you. And really, you're just trying to be 
polite by making eye contact. So your, your experiences and how you think about yourself determines how you hear the same thing that everybody else heard, but you came away with an entirely different conclusion. And often that is filtered through good or bad self-esteem. And so it's important to understand that. Now, married couples must understand that communication does not automatically occur when you talk verbally or non-verbally to your spouse. It doesn't automatically occur. It doesn't just happen because you listen to what your spouse said. But here's when actual communication occurs, whether you're married or unmarried. When two people, when you, when you verbally or non-verbally express your thoughts to another person in such a way that they hear you in the correct way, in the way that you know that they have, is that you get the in, intended response you expected. Let me say that again. Communication does not occur just because somebody heard you. And they even did something. <laughs> you can do the entirely, entire opposite of what somebody is asking you. It only occurs when the person who is listening to you responds according to your intended expectation. If they don't do what you expected, you haven't communicated with them. And so one of the things that you need to do is to make sure, do I understand you? Now, you don't have to do what they say to understand them, but you need to be clear on what the expectation is. And when you are, you have communicated. You have communicated. There's nothing more important to a healthy marriage. And still, the primary reason marriages end is not until debt do us part, uh, in-laws have become outlaws, even sexual immorality, communication. He never listens. He doesn't understand me. He thinks everything is OK because I don't say nothing. No, you're just planning how to get out of the marriage while you're not saying nothing. She doesn't, she doesn't respect me. She hears what I say. You ever experience it? You say to your spouse, uh, you give them a list of things, and, and you give them your, your, I mean, your Mount Olympus advice, and then they come back the next day. And, and my girlfriend said, wait a minute, I told you the same thing. So at, at some point, you decide to put down the tablets, and you're not sharing your intermost uh, thoughts because the person that you've been talking to doesn't respect what you're saying on the same level as they do their peers. Don't let your marriage be destroyed because of poor communication. In order to communicate, we, in order for communication to occur, we need to, we need to unmute our mics. Brothers, it is true, for every one word a man speaks, a woman can say seven. You're never going to beat a woman in an argument because you can out-talk her. Women are, people, are, are more relational. Men are more externally, outside of the house, project-orientated and based on how God has created us. And so we need to open up our mouths, brothers, and we need to talk. Now... Your spouse, you can talk, but you're just like you need to unmute your mind. Your, your spouse must unmute, allow you to be unmuted in her life. If a, if a spouse doesn't choose to receive what you're saying, it doesn't matter how hard you try. You're not going to communicate. Immature people have a very difficult time communicating because they interpret things from the from the, from the vantage point of how they're feeling at any given time. And the Bible tells us about our feelings. Do not trust your feelings. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so when somebody says, well, I feel, okay, I hear what you feel and how you feel, maybe actually how you actually feel, but the feelings that you have doesn't make it factual. But if someone is in the tour, the way they hear and interpret what is said is going to be channeled through whatever mood they happen to be in 
at that given time. And so now you're talking with a child who's just grown up tall. Now, in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, the apostle addresses a very serious problem that was destroying relationships in the church. People were using words as weapons of mass destruction without realizing it. We'll see that the power of life is in your tongue, what you say, how you communicate through nonverbals and, and the lack of attentiveness that we give when people are trying to share what's important to them. This is what was happening in the church that was scattered. James the Apostle writes 12 verses, and he, he zeroes in on the danger of misusing communication and, and how it can either build or destroy what we say matters to us most. Now, James tells the church how to effectively communicate, how to effectively receive the proper intended response from the person that you have expressed your thoughts to. And the first thing he tells us in verse 1, he says, take the risk with caution. Take the risk with caution because communication or communicators of God's truth expose themselves to stricter judgment. Take the risk with caution because there's a stricter judgment. When you decide that you're going to be a communicator, you're exposing yourself to be hurt. You're exposing yourself to a stricter judgment. We're also going to see another effective way of communicating. He, he tells his, his listeners and the audience, take inventory of, your, of, your, of yourself spiritually by evaluating your conversations. If you want to know where you are in your spiritual maturity, Check out how you, what you talk about. Communication or controlling your words indicates your level of spirituality. Mature people have mature conversations. Thirdly, we're going to see in verses 5b through 8, realize we need to realize the power of your words. Realize the power of your words because constructive words can accomplish great things and corrupt words can be deadly and destructive. And finally, we're going to see, we need to understand in verses 9 through 12, and we're not going to uh, be able to expound on all these verses to the, the, the depth of that, that we, they could require, but we're going to find out that we need to understand that how you talk to people should be consistent with your profession of faith. It should be consistent if you say, Paul says, let no profane and vain babbling proceed out of your mouth because it increases unto un more ungodliness. You should not be talking a certain way on a regular if you are born from above. And so let's dive into this. Take the risk with caution to be a communicator. James puts it this way. He said, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, communicators of God's word, knowing that we will or we shall receive a stricter judgment. Take the risk with caution. Let not many of you jump up in front of the crowd to become an instructor or communicator of the word of God because you will subject yourself to a stricter judgment. Now, here's who James is talking to. He uses the term brethren. So he's talking to born-again believers. He's talking to Christians in general. But the message specifically is directed to a certain group within the body of Christ who has a gift in the area of communicating God's word. And basically, he's saying that everybody shouldn't be wanting to do this. And so he's specifically talking to pastors and elders and deacons, and then in a very special way, he's identifying a role in the church that is really almost on the level of, of an officer in the church. It's because it's a designated position in the church. He says, he says teachers, instructors of God's word, professors, Bible uh, Sunday school teachers, he said, beware that you don't rush to sign up 
to be in front of God's people to be a communicator because there's going to be a greater accountability, a greater judgment for to whom much is given, much is required. And the reason why you don't want to be quick to sign up to be a teacher, communicate the word of God, because you are in a position to impact people's lives for eternity. What you say can determine if a person gets into heaven or ends up in hell. And so there's eternal consequences that are weighing in the balance when you are a proclaimer of the word of God. One of the things that has happened during the pandemic, everybody's a preacher now. Everybody's in front of some camera right now. But God says, beware. Don't be rushing to the front of the crowd to designate yourself as a teacher. The apostle Paul, the great theologian, uh, this academician, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, he says, I did not come to you with persuasive speech, but I decided to know nothing other than Christ. He said, I came to you in weakness and in trim. I'm talking about a scholar. I'm talking about somebody who multilingual. I'm talking about somebody who wrote most of the New Testament. He said, when as I stood before you teaching, I was in weakness and trembling because we understand that this treasure has of the word of God and the good news has been placed in earthen vessels. And so he says, beware. But if you're called, <laughs> take the risk. With fear and in trembling, to be a communicator of the word of God. As it is true with teachers and pastors and other communicators of God's word, it is also true in marriage and relationships. If you dare to be understood, if you dare to expose the, your fears and your dreams and, 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 and the, your, your, your failures, and, and the Bible talks about confessing our sins once in a If you dare to make yourself vulnerable and to be, and, and, and to be a, a transparent, you run the risk of a stricter judgment. Because once you tell people about your stuff, the same people, David said, he said when he, when he was fleeing from Saul, he said, I, had, I didn't realize I had so many enemies. And he said, but when I cataloged and I, and I Googled and tried to figure out who, in fact, are these enemies, he said, I, I would have been okay if they hadn't been, uh, if they had been somebody from outside the church. But he said, I recognize that these were my familiar friends. These were the folks that I went to church with. These were the ones that when I was having difficulties, I bared my heart to. I, I shared with them my insecurities. One of the things that I try to do as a pastor is to be transparent. I, 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 I sometimes I say, did I actually share that? Yeah, I did. I did. But if you make up your mind as a husband or a wife, that in my marriage, I am going to be naked before my spouse. And what I mean by that, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, it says, and they were both naked and unashamed. There was nothing hidden. There was nothing concealed. There were no secrets. There were no hidden agendas. Adam and Eve could be totally honest and transparent. There's nothing more beautiful in marriage than for you to be able to bear your soul. And know that your house, your marriage, is a no-judgment zone. Jesus cautioned about how and who we should communicate with. When you see the example that Jesus set, he didn't tell everything to everybody. There were at least three different levels of communications that Jesus engaged with. He said certain things to the multitude. And most of that had to do with teaching. That, that was the level of exposure in terms of personal issues that Jesus used. When he, when he talked to the multitude, he had one conversation. Then when he talked to the 12, he had another conversation. And then within the 12, there were three that were his most intimate confidants, 
Peter, James, and John. Jesus shared things with Peter, James, and John that he didn't share with the 12, that he didn't share with the multitude. You ought to have some Peter, James, and Johns in your life. There's some, you don't need to be telling everybody everything. But there ought to be somebody specifically in, in, the, in the marriage context where you can open up your heart and know that what you share will matter to them because it matters to you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus says, Do not cast your pearls among swine. I ain't calling your, your spouse a swine or, or, or somebody you know. But what he is saying is there's some things that are in your heart that have been given to you from God, and they are sacred. They are the very fiber that holds your life together, and you can't just be telling everybody things that are holy, things that have been whispered in your ear from God, things that have the potential of destroying your life. People that don't value you won't value what you share with them. That should not be true in marriage. Your spouse should have a high view of you. God says that marriage is a good thing. Why? Because what God has done, God did this. Marriage is an institution created by the very hand and mind of God. And you should think of your husband as a blessing. The Bible said that he that findeth a wife. Oh, I'm fed up with these men playing with women. Oh, I love it when a man can make up his mind. You the one. We, we may not be able to settle this right now, but this, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not looking to the left, to the right, or to the... You the one. I value you like that. Jesus tells the story of the unjust judge. And during this time in history, uh, there were traveling circuits. Traveling circuits, Amen. Get calmed down because the screen's not here. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I done broke out. <laughs> the judge would come to a town, and he'd be there for one day, and then move to another town, another place. So it's not one central location for where you could get litigation done. But there was a woman who had been unjustly treated, and she found out that the judge was in her town. And she went to the judge, and he wouldn't even hear her case. He ignored her and went to the next place. And when he, the next day where he was at the next place, guess who was at, her, at his front door? It was her. And he kept doing this. He kept ignoring her. He would not respond. All she wanted was justice, but he didn't value her. And the proof of her, his lack of value, is because he wouldn't even hear her communication. He ignored her communication. But she was persistent. And finally, the judge, she got on his nerves. And he said, I don't know who this woman is, but I'm going to give her justice because she will not give up trying to communicate. I want you to understand, when God gives you something to say, it's a risk. You got, it, it, it can cost you, but you got to be persistent. You got to keep trying. Sometimes you will share, and it will be Somebody that you confided in may even tell, and that could cause you to become more defensive and more, more withdrawn, and you're never going to open up. Oh, you brought it to my face again. No, 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 no. In marriage, you got to keep on being like that woman. I want justice. I want communication. I need my case to be heard. I need somebody to care about what I care about. I want you to know that I won't keep on coming until somebody responds. That's the way marriage and communication is built. You got to keep on coming. You got to keep on coming, even when the person that you're coming to is unjust and how they're interpreting your actions. Jesus says, that's the way prayer works. Sometimes God delays answering our prayer, but importunity prayers, when you are persistent, Lord, like Jacob said, Lord, I know you're telling me to let you go. The angel, Lord, he said, but I'm going to hold on. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on depending on you until you bless me. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on communicating with your mate. Keep on taking the risk. Even though there's a stricter judgment, it hurts when you are rejected. 
but you got to keep on working at it. Somebody say amen. Take the risk, even though there's a stricter judgment. Here's another thing. You need to take inventory of yourself spiritually by evaluating your conversations. Someone said that great people talk about ideas, average people talk about things. Weak people, immature people talk about other people. Listen to what the scripture says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in his words, he is a perfect, complete, mature man, able to bridle his own body. I want you to see the association that James makes with, with conduct and conversation. If you can control what comes out of your mouth, you can control what you put in your mouth. It goes hand in hand. An undisciplined person, one of the clearest evidences of their lack of discipline and maturity is how they, what they talk about. And more often than not, an, un, an immature person is going to talk about themselves more than they talk about you or talk about anything else. And so he says, a person who is mature can control his whole body. He can control his actions. And the evidence of your actions that are controlled is that, that when you are mature is what do you talk about? Well, I don't talk to anybody. I don't hang on the phone like that. What, what are you scrolling on? What are you texting about? What kind of tw tweets grab your attention? What do you really laugh at? When are you really having your most enjoyable time? Is it at church? Is it when you're reading the word? Or is it when somebody is engaging in what God calls an abomination, immoral? And so remember, conversation is not just what you say. It has to do with who you're talking with and what are you talking about. And then the question is, what is your motive? Oh, we, I'm just, I just had to get it off my chest. You had to get it off your chest. The Bible says if somebody offends you, go to them. Go to them. We love gossip until it's about us. And gossip is anything that you will say about someone behind their back that you won't say to their face. And so he says, take inventory where you are spiritual. You don't know where you're spiritual. Well, I just read a whole bunch of Bibles, and I graduated from seminary, and, 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 and I, I got all kinds of books that I read and I wrote. Well, what about your conversation? What about your conversation? What kind of media floats your boat? James equates what's in your heart, what's really in your heart, to what you talk about. When you get a chance, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37. The Bible says, every idle word that we speak, God not only hears it, he says, we will give an account. So the question is, what kind of, I, I, you, I mean, to be disciplined about you, what you say, it means you've got to think before you speak. Proverbs says, no one will know that you're a fool until you open your mouth. You can, you can be considered the wisest person in the room because you never said a thing. And you had, you had no understanding of anything that was being talked about. You just never said anything. And guess what? That's wisdom because if you don't know what you're talking about, the best thing to do is to keep quiet. We had a substitute in our music class, and oh, Lord, whenever the music teacher was out, that was we just literally tormented the substitute. That's what, that was our intention. That was our purpose. That was our vision statement. <laughs> we wanted to put the substitute in uh, early, into early retirement. The only problem was the music room was across parallel to the principal's office. So we had to be very, somebody had to be watching the door so that when we went, we went to acting out that no one from the principal's office. One day we, we got, so, we got so, so, so relaxed in our tormenting of this uh, substitute teacher is uh, we, we, the, the principal, Mr. Gillespie, the meanest man, he must have been related to Satan. This dude... <laughs> 
He looked at you and fired. This dude was scary. I can still see him. I'm trying to run now. Mr. Gillespie, he walks into the room, and he gives us this lecture. You could hear a pin drop. He's turning to leave the room, and one of the kids said, you get out of here, you meathead. Mr. Gillespie turned around. He said, who said that? David Carter said, I said it. It got real bad for David. It got real bad that day. He went up the, we had like stair steps in the music, like where you could play instruments. So you, while he walked up the steps, he didn't ask David to stand. He just grabbed him by his shirt. And he drug him. This is back in the day when they didn't have children rights and child abuse. He drug him down backwards. Dude, you could hear every step. You could see the tracks of the step on the, on the back of his shirt and pants. Then he took him outside of the room. And you could just hear boom against the wall, boom against the wall, boom against the wall. I said, David is dead. <laughs> and, and I really thought he was because that is the last time we ever saw David in the school. He was not only brutalized, but he was expelled. Mr. Gillespie didn't play. So I think about, I kind of, in, in retrospect, said, what, what, what would make David do such a thing? Say me, call him, and he did have a meathead too. Why would he say that? Was he courageous? Was he just the kind of guy I said it so I went back? No, no, no. David was immature. I want you to know that immaturity will make you write checks that you can't cash. Immaturity will make you say things in your relationship that will wreck them. Immaturity will have you calling people out of their names. Immaturity will have you outside of your car right after church in somebody's face talking about, I'm a man just like you. I want you to know that we need to take inventory of where we are spiritually by our conversations, what comes out of our mouth. Immature people should not get married. While at the same time, no person, for the most part, is mature when they get married. But you need to have some, some maturity in the area about who you are in Christ. You need to have come to a place in your maturity where you have addressed the things that have hurt you. So that you're not forever punishing your spouse for what you never forgave. Here's the third thing. We're going to run on. Realize the power of your words. Constructive communication can accomplish great things, while corrupt communications can wreck you. The Bible says, here it says, Indeed, we put a bit in the mouth of a horse, and it obeys us. We turn it wherever we want to. Look at a ship as large as it is. We use a, a, fall, a, a small rudder. And he talks about, how a single blaze uh, can set, uh, he says, uh, the wind, he says, and we, we turn it wherever we want to. And he said, even so, the tongue is like a little member that boasts great things. Let me quickly just share some things here. The tongue is, is a powerful instrument that can give direction. It says the tongue boasts, it's a small member, but it boasts great things. Our tongue and our Twitter account pack a powerful punch. What you say, every war that, was ever, that ever was started was started by what people said. Two words can forever change a man and a woman's life. I do. I will. You weren't married, but when you said I do and I will, all of a sudden you married. Words have power to give direction. To the course of our lives. Tongue, a tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. One of the greatest powerful creatures that God ever made was a horse. But you could put a little bit in a horse's mouth, and that horse will be directed by the jockey just because of the bit in his mouth. That's what a tongue can do. It can set the course of your life. And here's what the scripture says about that. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Let every man be swift to 
here and slow to wrath, for the wrath of men does not what? Work the righteousness of God. And so the tongue, though small, has great power. The tongue is like a rudder to a ship, a great ship. Words give direction to your life, for your destiny, for your future. What you say about your children, what you say about your marriage, you're actually putting into motion a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your words are like seeds that are planted in the soil. And what you plant is what you will reap. And so you didn't mean it. And here's the thing. You can't take it back. You can apologize and we should. But what we have to do, and we also, we all need to give each other grace because none of us are perfect. I'm still, you know, I'm almost perfect, but I'm, I'm, (laughs) but, but I have some issues. Somebody, I got some issues. I don't always listen. I don't always allow people to finish. When they're talking, I got to say something. And sometimes I need to say it because I'm not going to remember if I don't say it. But your words set the course for your life. The tongue is like a small rudder. The tongue is also powerful because it can bring destruction. The Bible says, see how great a forest fire it kindles. And the tongue is like a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so, it's set among its members that defiles the entire body. It sets on fire the course of nature. It is set, it sets on fire. It is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. That's why David said, put a watch over my mouth. Help me, Lord, to know when to speak and know when not to say anything. It is unruly and evil, full of deadly poison. The Bible says the tongue is like a fire. It starts with a smart, a spark that becomes a flame that grows into a blaze. One word, one rumor, one untruthful thing, one intention. I hate you. I can't stand you. I wish you would die. Go somewhere. Get out of my face. I grew up in a home where I, I, sometimes I didn't know what my name was. <laughs> And it wasn't done out of the lack of love. I knew I was loved. We just followed the pattern that we see modeled before us. The tongue is like a fire. The tongue is like a poisonous snake. A poisonous snake. So the tongue has dangerous potential as well as potential for direction. One of the fads that people are doing today, when I'm doing counseling, marital counseling, I get a call. You're a pastor. I just want you to know how sister so-and-so acts when she's not at the church. I'm going to show you this video. And then she picks up the other end. And I'm going to show you the video, and you ain't going to like what he said either. I said, what video are you talking about? He said, well, they said, the one we saved, can we show it to you? I don't want to see you and your wife fighting. And then I'm asking, why are you saving something that that has the potential to be poison to your marriage, to be a fire in your marriage? Why would you save it? I said, before we get off this phone, you need to delete it right now. When you store up things on your video to remind your mate of how or to prove that you're right and they're wrong, all you have done is made, made forgiveness impossible. Now, some of us, I would never videotape or, or, or record something on the phone. I just keep it in my mind. <laughs> okay? It's the same thing. You have the ability to destroy or to build your marriage by what you say. Remember that. Understand that the tongue has the power to build or destroy. Let me share this final thing. We need to understand that how we talk should be consistent with the profession of our faith. In verses 9 through 12, James talks about how can cursing and blessing come out of the same fountain. And the tense of those, wor- those, those words is the pr- present progressive tense. He, some, sometimes Christians will say things that they shouldn't say. I'm not talking about that Steve Harvey, God knows I ain't got saved in that area. You know, you got, if you <laughs> saved, you've been saved. God saved your language as well. 
God understands Christians cuss, not habitually. We, we ain't comfortable with that language. God said, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. And so in verses 9 through 12, what James is saying, he says that Christians should not habitually practice using abusive conversation and, and words. How can cursing and blessing come out of the same fountain? How can a fig tree produce apples? In other words, what he's talking about, the reason why we know figs will produce figs and apple trees will produce apple trees is because of the nature of the tree. So he's talking about your salvation. He says, if you consistently are producing something that doesn't match what Christians should be evidencing, that could be an evidence or an indication that you never met Jesus in the first place. The Bible says that our conversation should change. Oh, I remember the story, and we're going to close with this. Peter, in Matthew chapter 26, when he was one of them, Jesus, they can all deny you. I'll never deny you, but I'll die for you. <laughs> and he tried to prove that he picked out his switchblade, and he cut a brother's ear off. And then when Jesus reached down and put the man's ear on, he said, oh, no, I don't understand this kind of fighting. I don't know what this kingdom stuff means. And so Peter didn't flee, but he followed Jesus to where he was going to be judged. And he stood at a distance, and he could see Jesus being beaten. He could see Jesus being, being sped on. He could see it all. In three separate instances, as Jesus told Peter before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. And so one lady comes and she says, you, you, you belong to him. You, you, you. He said, nah, I'm not a follower of Jesus. <laughs> then a little while later, second poor man saw him warming his hands at the enemy's fire. He said, yeah, aren't you one of his? No, 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 I don't know the brother. <laughs> and then one woman finally says, your speech gives you away. How did his speech give him away? Well, Peter used to be, he was, before, when Christ saved him, he saved him as a foul-mouthed fisherman. But by the time he spent three years with Jesus, his speech had changed. And even when Peter was trying to deny Christ, the woman who didn't know Jesus recognized it was something different about Peter because of his conversation. He said, you, yes, you are following him. People that talk like you follow Jesus. How are you cussing your wife out? How are you speaking abusively to your husband? And at the same time, out of the fountain that, that should be flowing from the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, kindness. How is vow, vulgar words coming out of the person that you say, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh? It's incongruent, it's inconsistent, because it does not reflect a nature that has been recreated. The nature of a person who is saved will be indicated and evidenced by the fact that you will know them by their fruit, how you talk. Well, I would never say any cuss words, but look at your Twitter account. Look how you're engaging with people. We lost our minds this past four years as Christians. We forgot all about Jesus. Maybe we never knew him. I'm tired of us. We claim everybody's saved because they joined the church. But Jesus said, many shall say, in that day, have I not done this? Have I not done that? And he said, I am going to look at them, and I will say to you, you depart from me. Why, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Your works evidence your relationship to Christ. That includes how you communicate with people non-verbally and verbally and how you interpret. What do you say to yourself? Are you saying to yourself what God has said? What did God say about me? He said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, I am hidden in Christ. My value is based on who I am. I'm created in the likeness and the image of God. It doesn't get any better than that. 
No, my husband never compliments me. Well, you got a husband named Jesus. He compliments you. But when she does do what I need her to do, then I'll, no, 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 no. The Lord says, love your wife. That's what the Lord communicated. Love your wife in the same way that Jesus loved the church. When she was perfect, no. Jesus loves us unconditionally. Let me finish with this. Now, how do you unmute your mic properly? I'm glad you asked. You need to, we all need to do this. I'm confessing throughout the day. I'm praying that God will guard my tongue. David said, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. I'm the pastor, but I don't always say what I'm supposed to say. Sometimes I say, why did I, where did that come from? Don't look at me like that. Wait a minute. <laughs> you don't have to teach a kid how to cuss. You don't have to teach them how, uh, the, the, the most uh, uh, popular rap song. You do have to tell them, how, teach them John 3.16. They won't remember that. That'd be the hardest verse in their life, but they know everything that they, to do by the truth. so we're, we're sinners by nature. So pray that God will put a guard over our tongues, over our mouths. Here's another thing. Practice building other people up rather than tearing them down. The Bible says, do not let foul, abusive language do not use foul, abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that the words will be an your words will be an encouragement to those who hear it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 29. Why would you allow Satan to use you to destroy your marriage? When you use your tongue to tear down your mate, rather than to build them up, you are in sin. And you are disobeying the word of God. And so with, if we want to unmute our mic in a way that God is pleased, you need to build up rather than tear down. Let me, I'm almost done. Purify your thoughts, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Some of us don't think right about ourselves. You heard what nobody else heard. That's not what, the, no, 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 no. And everybody was speaking English. But they heard you say, I don't like them. No, you didn't say, I don't like you. You said, I don't like that meat. But they heard you don't like them. You didn't speak to them today. They didn't understand that 10 people in your, great fam your family died. But they didn't saw you. You didn't speak to them. Wait a minute. It doesn't mean I don't like you or love you. That's, that's, in, you, that's in between your ears. How do you change how you think? Memorize of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, my brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are notable, no, noble, whatever things that are just and pure and lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there is any virtue, think, think on these things. If it's praiseworthy, that's how you purify your thoughts. And finally, praise God for who you are in Jesus. If we would praise the Lord more, our conversations would change. When's the last time you just gave the Lord some praise? Thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you, Lord, that you, you gave me breath and life in my Oh, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me, let me just shut it down with this. We got a letter from the church, from the school. This is years ago. Pre-internet. Teacher said that uh, our oldest son, I shouldn't say uh, one of our children, <laughs> Oh, oh, bring it in. I really get it. Anyway, come to see the teacher urgently. Your son is having difficulty. So we go in. We sit with the teacher, and she goes through this list of things that he is not doing right. He is failing. He's uncooperative. And then I said, wait, 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 okay. We agree that if all these things that you're saying are accurate, this is a problem. We need to correct this. I said, can you tell me one good thing about my son? She said, he has a nice haircut. Now, that was, I guess she meant that to be funny. When she said that, I took, my son was sitting right there. I grabbed his arm, and my wife walked right out. That was the last time he was in her classroom. Well, she didn't understand. Oh, we can correct 
things that, that are correctable. But when you try to destroy somebody's self-esteem, when you try to wreck their destiny, when you are in a position of authority to influence the direction of somebody's life, and you're weaponizing your words, and we ain't signing off on that. But I want you to understand, in your marriage, don't you weaponize your words. Don't you sign off on things that God says are abominable, that don't please him, that divide, that destroy. Don't you dare take the authority and the ability to speak, to use it in a way that doesn't build up but destroy. Don't dishonor God. I'm not going to take a wrecking ball to my marriage, to my children, to relationships that really matter. You have the authority to do that. Let's change. Today, we're going to stop wrecking our marriages. We're going to stop waiting for the other person to change. We're going to submit to the Lord. Would you stand with me? We're going to submit to the Lord by unmuting our mouths and letting every word that comes forth come out with grace and seasoned with the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We bless you. Oh, Lord. I'll be the first to admit, admit, Lord, that I have failed in the area of communication. I'll be the first to admit, Lord, that I'm not always the best listener. Lord, I would be the first to admit that I've said things before I thought. God, I've been guilty of sharing things that are personal that should have been kept private. Father, I'm asking that you would start with forgiving me for not honoring you with things that may have been hurtful. And whatever my motivations might have been, Lord, they still didn't give direction. They didn't necessarily bless. But Lord, they sowed seeds of distrust so, Father, I know that you promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just. Father, I want to lift up every marriage. Oh, God, we have allowed the enemy to just come in and take the words that we say and create, instead of a haven, our homes are war zones. Father, may we repent right now and may we make the commitment that our families, our marriages will be honorable to you because we will say what you have said. It is a good thing when a man finds a wife. It is a good thing when a woman honors her husband at the gate. Oh God, may we surrender to your will because our way doesn't work. Father, I pray for every single man, every single woman, every one that desires to be married. God, I pray that today that they would commit themselves to preparing until you say otherwise. Father, one of the main ways that we can grow and prepare is learning how to speak in an honorable way to those who ultimately would be among the number that could be our, the very spouse that you have chosen for us. Teach us as women how to speak to men and men to speak to women. Now, oh God, we lift up every soul that doesn't know you in the pardon of their sins. Father, if there's one, as our hands are bowed and our eyes are closed, we're lifting up those names that you know you have their names written on the very palms of your hand. There's nothing hidden from you. So no matter what you've done, no matter how you thought, no matter how many words that you said that you regret, I want you to know that you can have every sin forgiven, past, present, and future, because Christ died for you. He died for you. So if you desire to have the blood of Christ applied, as a full and complete payment for every sin. You simply need to say, I want to receive Christ. Just repeat this simple prayer after me. Lord Jesus, 
I need you. I have sinned. My sins separate me from you. I believe that you died for my sins and were bar was buried and rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And you promised that if I accept you as my Lord and Savior, that you would save me. I accept you by faith as my Lord and Savior right now. In Jesus' name.